Sales Tuners, Episode 93, Jacqueline Nicholson, Enterprise Sales Director at Percolate. A lot of times we assume bad motives behind something that somebody says or does, and and really coming from a place of assuming innocence first is often a much better place to start. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Tony Dungy, who said it's about the journey, mine and yours, and the lives we can touch, the legacy we can leave, and the world we can change for the better. Today on the show, I'm joined by Jacqueline Nicholson, Enterprise Sales Director at Percolate, a content marketing platform built for some of the world's largest brands. Jacqueline has also taken her business and life experiences and applied them to her passions for wine, relationships, and coaching and mentoring others. Big props go out this week to five-star Apple Podcast reviewer Craig P., who said, I am new to sales after a long career in operations, and Jim and his guests have given me more knowledge and tools in a few short months than I could have gained in years of stumbling about. Thank you for the great podcast. I look forward to every new episode. My man, thank you so much for that. You got yourself a Sales Tuners t-shirt on the way. Hey, send me an email with your shirt size and mailing address, and I'll get it right out. I've also got nine more of these I want to give away before I leave the country, so you know what to do. All right. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 93. But now let's get to the conversation where Jacqueline talks about her mission to make the lives of people around her better every day. Partly what I'm motivated by is just my belief that the most important things in my life, which are my faith and my family are really what drives me, quite frankly. Um, I do everything I do for them. Um, I try to make the lives of other people better. And that includes my customers as well. And so that's really what drives me, what motivates me and inspires me every day. Jacqueline, I also know that you're a sommelier. Uh, So as someone who has only recently started to develop a taste for wine, tell me what I've been missing out on and tell me what I need to do to maybe present uh, the fact that I actually know about wine. I think the best thing about wine is, first of all, it should be fun. There are no right or wrong answers when it comes to wine. If you love the wine, the wine is great. Um, If you're looking to learn more about wine, I would always suggest that you do what I did, which was early on when I was first starting to drink wine with one of my friends and neighbors, I would remark that I liked a particular wine. And one day my friend shared something with me that I didn't know before. He said, well, you know, chances are, Jacqueline, if you really like that wine, you're probably going to like a wine that was well-made from a similar place. And I said, well, what are you talking about? And he's told me that really a lot of times the wine is really an expression of where the grapes have been grown in the first place. And so that if you find that you like a particular wine, it's really good, first of all, to keep track of that because then you can end up finding wines that you also like. Um, Because the the secret about wine is the wine that you fall in love with and that you really want to drink for a long time is only going to be available for a while. That's why we have different vintages and different kinds of wines. So The second tip I would say is in addition to paying attention and keeping track of the things that you like is either find a friend who knows a lot about wine or find a wine shop where there's a knowledgeable professional who runs the shop where you can go in and say, hey, listen, I found out that I really love this wine, but it's not available anymore. Can you point me towards something similar? And they'll help broaden your horizons. And uh, and at least those are my two tips and secrets. And then if you get really serious and you want to geek out, then I always tell people to take classes uh, like I did, which was really fun for me. 
I love that. What uh, what type of wine or or what vintage or what vineyard is uh, the the best for you? Oh, that's a hard one. <laughs> so we the fo- folks in the my my husband and my daughter both work in the wine industry, and so if people who work in the wine industry or they're wine professionals, and people say, "What's your favorite wine?" It's a really hard question. Sure. Probably a better question is like, "Okay, what's your favorite Chablis and what vintage and what vineyard?" But I will say this, if, if somebody forced me into saying that there was only one grape, you know, wine from one grape that I could have for the rest of my life, on the red side, it would be Syrah and on the white side, it would be Chardonnay. And I say that because I can have delicious red wine and then with Chardonnay, you can at least make champagne. There we go. All right. Very good. <laughs> so if I had to pick, it would be that. Well, I feel like I learned so much just in that little bit from you that I've been trying to figure out my whole life. I have a a picture of a bottle of wine that I had in uh, Paris, France, uh, gosh, five years ago. And I've been looking for that forever. I think I have to go back overseas to get it. Jacqueline, as you know, in this show, we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that has led to your success. So I want to start first by talking about Percolate. Uh, What is that? And and why does a customer decide to buy from you? Honestly, one of the reasons that I joined Percolate is the reason, the same reason why I think a customer should buy Percolate. When I took a look at what Percolate was doing and kind of like you and I talked originally, uh, I was fascinated by the technology. I was really impressed by the platform and the vision of the company. And I knew that when I heard about it, that I wanted to be a part of it because Percolate is really thinking about the work of marketers in a very different way. It's a really impressive technology, and you think about it. Like if you're if you're a, you know in sales, like we are, we have a single source of truth about what's going on in our sales, right? We use Salesforce or a similar sort of CRM, and we know what's going on. If you talk to your CFO, dollars to donuts that your CFO knows exactly what's going on with the financial books, and the same with your HR software and your platforms. So sales, finance, HR, all of these organizations or parts of the organization, excuse me, are really accustomed to having a system that tells them everything that's going on. When it comes to marketing, people don't have that. If, if your CMO was to walk into the marketing department and say, hey, folks, what do we have going on in marketing right now? What campaigns are running? What's going on? They'd have to scramble for a few days, pull together reports, look at spreadsheets and a bunch of emails, and then try to tell the CMO exactly what was going on. And that's really not a good way to run marketing. And what Percolate has done for the first time is just like sales, just like finance, just like HR have systems of record to tell them what's going on. That's what Percolate does for the marketing organization. So if you want to have true omni-channel excellence, you need to know what's going on in marketing and you need to be on the same page. And that same page should not be a bunch of spreadsheets and a bunch of emails and documents that are strewn all over the organization. And that's what's different about Percolate. That's what drew me to Percolate. You know, I'm over 90 episodes into this show, and that may have been the best uh, intro to someone's uh, company that they've ever given. Like, you have nailed that. Uh, now, there could well, be a little really bit of bias. Of <laughs> well, I, well, I work here. I am biased. <laughs> <laughs> well, so say, I, I may be a little biased, though, because I do have some experience in that content marketing space, and I was a big fan of Percolate ever since the first time that I found you. But, but I'm being completely serious uh, and genuine when I say that. Like, the way you describe that, you just... I mean, you just nailed it. So, so much uh, that I want to dig into. Um, But first off, Jacqueline, you haven't always been the person that you are today. So take me way back. How did you actually get into sales? It is going way back to around 1995, circa 1995. So for those of you who are listening, don't be alarmed. I'm not 85. Um, But if you go back to 1995 and you think about what technology was like, if you can remember or if you've heard stories about it, um, things like the internet didn't really exist, especially not in the fashion that we know them today. Um, Your computer at work, your computer at home didn't 
have access to the internet unless you were fortunate to have a dial-up connection or you worked somewhere that was sort of cutting edge on the technology or research side. And I worked at a company called Johnson and Johnson, uh, you know, one of the Fortune 500 wonderful, wonderful company for anyone to work at earlier in their career. I was very blessed. And I was at Johnson and Johnson and had a unique position of basically, you know, at the young age I was at being responsible for a global project that really saw what J and J was going to do with the internet and how they were going to embrace it. Uh, So my job went from, you know, J and J not being on the internet to, having a global infrastructure for accessing the internet, having employees have access to the internet from their desktops and J&J's first presence uh, on the internet with websites like baby.com that I helped launch and others. Uh, The project was really fascinating. So I was a young person. I was responsible for this global project team. I think it was over 15 people all around the world and literally everything from going around to J&J operating companies, you know, the companies that are a member of the J&J family, like Neutrogena, Ortho McNeil Pharmaceuticals, et cetera. And it was my job to go and meet with CFOs and CIOs at each J&J operating company, explain to them why this was a good idea, why this would be great for business and the value that this could bring. It was also my responsibility to make sure that the technical infrastructure was in place and that, you know, the way that J&J would do this. So that's the interesting thing is, you know, doing that at such an early part of my career, it taught me a few things. First of all, I was in the unique position of instead of reporting directly into a manager or a director, I reported directly to a vice president who believed in me and took a chance on me and gave me a lot of freedom to do the things I needed to do. Basically, I was running this project with very senior access and selling to internally, basically, very senior individuals. So I learned, first of all, that executives are basically like everyone else, and they just want to know what value you can bring to them. So I was was taught very early on um, how to have very, very senior conversations and how to position the value to them. It also really taught me that I belonged in sales as opposed to what I had been doing because essentially what I'd been doing was selling and I really loved it. I was energized by it and I was really motivated to give that a shot. And so it was very difficult in that time to get hired into a sales position at J&J. I actually had the good fortune of meeting a very senior J&J HR executive a few years later. And when she heard my story, she asked why I left J&J. And I told her the year that it was, and she goes, oh, darn it, that was the days when we said, if you weren't already in sales, we weren't going to put you in sales. She goes, I'm sad we lost you. And so I ended up taking a position that was customer facing on the consulting side to a, a technology company that was really focused on you know, penetrating the life sciences space. And uh, that really gave me my shot to be customer facing. And then I got my first quota carrying sales role a couple of years later um, when I worked with somebody very senior at Sun Microsystems who took a chance on me to give me my first quota carrying role a couple of years after leaving J&J at Sun Microsystems. I want to start, Jacqueline, by talking about you said executives are just like everyone else. I love that. But I want to ask how... How did you get there? How did you start to develop that executive presence uh, to be able to have those conversations uh, with the highest ranking members of companies? I think it was really my boss prepared me well for that. So the vice president that I worked for, Bob Chaput, who I still stay in touch with to this day, really uh, taught me the kinds of things that executives want to hear because he was one of them. 
um, my boss, Phil Amrinio, who I worked for, but was put on a special project. And that's why I ended up reporting into the VP. Um, Phil taught me very early on um, exactly what executives wanted to hear and how they wanted to hear it and how to get their buy-in in advance of a meeting where formal approval would be given by the CIO. And so it was just those two really uh, managers, bosses, mentors that really taught me that from very early on. I was very fortunate. What were some of the tips that that they gave you, or, and not even tips, but like how how did they prepare you? How did they get you ready for that? And how did it ultimately make you be comfortable uh, in the in the presence of an executive? I'm a fearless person, and so that helped. And I think what they told me is like, look, you've got to really lead with the why. Why does this matter to them? Why is this important to them? And I, I certainly didn't beat Simon Sinek to the punch. Um, if you've heard his famous TED Talk, uh, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you should. But leading with the why is what really matters. And I was impacted also very early on in that same project, talking about going into sales and why I, I believe I'm different and why I sell differently is in those meetings, leading that global project, you can imagine at the time that I was doing this work, the internet was taking off. Lots of technology companies were calling Johnson & Johnson. My name was actually at the switchboard in New Brunswick. So I would get calls all day long, 40, 50, 60 calls from technology providers who wanted to meet with me. That is a really interesting position to be in because think about it, email didn't exist. So I got phone calls. So I get lots of phone calls every day and the vendors I did choose to meet with, the solutions providers I did choose to meet with, for the most part, they would drone on and on and on about their solution and why it was so great. They never talked to me about my business problems. They never talked to me about my goals. They never talked to me about the things that were important to me. And I sat there and in some of these meetings, I, if I had literally not been trained so well to be professional, I might've stood up and walked out of the meeting or told them to be quiet <laughs> because I was sitting there thinking like, so what, why do I care about what you're telling me? Do you even know what I do? Do you even know what J&J makes? Name our top three products. And so I sell very differently because of that. So when you, I know we've talked a lot, a lot of different things and you've asked some questions, but when I think about what makes me different, what makes me sell differently, why people buy from me is because I actually take the time to understand what's important to them. It's almost like you're looking at my page of notes here and the questions that I want to ask you, you're just <laughs> going to go ahead and go down them. So I love that. I'm uh, not. I wish can, I was. If you can foreshadow the next one, by all means, do it. No, uh, I think that's absolutely fantastic. So you've spent almost your entire career and especially here at... Um, at, at, at Percolate, selling into enterprises, selling into enormous companies. So you just kind of started to allude to how you're uh, having those conversations. But how do you open up the doors? How do you get the first conversation uh, with these large companies, Jacqueline? Well, I think it really starts with research and it starts about caring about their business problems. So you're not going to understand the business problems of the particular company you're selling to or trying to sell to if you don't understand their industry, if you don't understand what's important to them. If they're a public company, read their, you know, their investor documents, read their filings, uh, read the proxy statement, the letters to investors. If they're not a public company, do all the research you can on them as a private company, who their investors are, what industry they're in, any sort of presentations that you can glean from out on the internet where you can find out what's important to them. I think that's critical. So you only earn the right to have that conversation if you really understand their business, their challenges, and their industry. And granted, you can only learn so much, learn so much doing your own research, um, but that's absolutely critical in my book. And I think that if we don't spend our time doing that, I don't really understand why a company ought to talk to us in the first place. I like that. If uh, we don't do our time on the front end, there's no reason why a company should even take the time to, to consider us on the back end. I think it's great. 
Exactly. And, you know, getting in the door is really a matter of, I think, persistence. So if you're a BDR or an SDR, if you're an inside sales professional and you're looking to crack into an account, either for your account executive or for your own purposes, you know, be engaging, be real, be yourself, be interesting. Uh, A lot of times the combination of calls and emails um, and some reach, you know, reaching out to somebody on LinkedIn can be a very powerful combination. Um, Those are tips that I think um, the best uh, SDRs that I've worked with do, um, the, the things I've seen them utilize that are really, really powerful is, you know, getting someone to laugh by the subject of an email, even if it's, you know, being a little silly. A lot of times if somebody's gone radio silent on me, I'll send them an email with a subject. Was it something I said? You know, just to see if I can, you know, break through the millions of emails that somebody's getting on a daily basis. But getting in the door should be a combination of just being real, being persistent, being honest, uh, being uh, interesting to talk to, being engaging. Being interesting to talk to. I like that. I'm going to steal this as well. That subject line, was it something I said? I have a, a similar one. Uh, did I lose you? And then kind of like what I call my nuclear option is, I'm sorry. And if I send the I'm sorry email, I'm going to get a response typically about 98% of the time. Uh, and then, you know, there's something saying, saying something like, hey, no, 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 I'm just busy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you don't want to send that unless you are willing to let it go away. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with that. I know that's been critical for me is making sure that I have right people around me. The opposite of that is working when uh, people are, let's say, negative, or we could go even uh, all the way to the end and say toxic. Uh, You've had some experiences with that in your career as well. Can you talk about that, how you realized it, or I guess recognized it, and how you moved on from that? you know, we're all going to go through different situations in our career. If you haven't gone through um, a negative situation in a job setting yet, you will, and that's okay. There's no need to be afraid of it or to panic because ultimately, while we can't control the situations that we find ourselves in sometime, what I can tell you with absolute positivity is that you can absolutely affect the outcome. So I like to think of it as an equation where you say the situation times an unknown variable equals the outcome. And that unknown variable is either your reaction which is a negative thing, or your response to the situation. And if you have a very positive response that's in line with the person you want to be to that situation, you will absolutely affect the outcome. So the only thing that you can control is you. And I think that's really vital. So when you find yourself in a situation where you're not happy, I always tell people that I coach and mentor, take a good good long look in the mirror. You know, ask yourself what you're doing to contribute because I guarantee for each and every one of us, our biggest problem looks at us in the mirror every morning. We are our biggest problem and you have to handle yourself before you decide, you know, what else to do. When you look around and you blame everybody else for your problems, you give away your control, you give away your power. And so when I, when I found myself in a situation where I worked for toxic people, I realized that I was working for someone who absolutely did not have my success in mind at all, but was actively working against me was when I knew that I had to make a move. But I wasn't going to force myself into a move in a panic or wasn't going to leave abruptly or anything like that. I was going to make sure that I had a soft place to land and that I ended up going somewhere with a better culture where people like that were not celebrated and weren't even hired if we could prevent it. And so, but but you can't really do that with a lot of clarity. You can't really do that successfully unless you've taken the time to evaluate yourself and evaluate your role in a difficult situation, because we can always make a difficult situation better by, a, by an appropriate response, I believe. How might one do that, Jacqueline? How do we take that inventory of ourself uh, to, to put ourselves on the right path? Well, I think for me, it gets into the specific things that have made me successful and the, the habits that I have on a daily basis. So 
when I think about you know what has made me successful, it's really instead of focusing on all the things I want to do, it's really focusing on the person I want to be. So our world is completely immersed in do this, do this, do this, do this. You've got to do this. You've got to meet your quota. You've got to do that. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. Once I do all those things, I'm going to have all this money. I'm going to have all this success and then I'm going to be happy. And I don't believe that that is the right way to live our lives. It's not the way I live my life. I first focus on the person I want to be. So when I think about success, I define success very differently than a lot of people. To me, success is being the woman that my husband would marry again is being the mom that my kids are proud to introduce to their friends and being the person that my boss would hire again. To me, that's success. I can control all of those things. I can be that person that I want to be in spite of everything that happens to go on around me. And so to me, that's how I think about success. It's how I think about what's important to me. When I, when I take that into consideration, you know, it, it really gets, it, it gets you to a very different place. I think, um, I think it also for me it really gets to the heart of what's important. And so, you know, everybody will tell you to focus on what to do. I, I prefer to tell you to focus on the person that you'd like to be. And so for, for me on a daily basis, what I do and the way I take that kind of inventory is I, my habits every day, first of all, when I can, I like to go for a run every day. For me, running is my outlet uh, health-wise and the thing I love to do the most. Um, and it's journaling every day. So taking that inventory really comes in being aware of what's going on around you. And so when I work with people, when I mentor them or coach them, I absolutely at the beginning instill this habit of, you know, daily journaling and daily quiet time. The the smartest, best, most successful people in the world spend every time uh spend time every day, excuse me, doing things that are critical to their success a daily reflection, a daily quiet time, a daily time to be aware of the things going on around you, what's frustrating to you, what's working for you, what are your intentions for the day, what are your goals for the day. And at the end of the day over a, you know, a glass of wine or at dinner, you know, just asking yourself, did I make a positive impact on somebody's day today? That to me is the way that you're able to take inventory of that. It's the way that you're able to see clearly. And I think it's the way that you're able to see if you've got any role to play in a difficult situation you find yourself in as well. You said a lot of powerful things there. One of them that really stuck out to me is, am I the person that my husband would marry again? I thought that was very, very powerful because I don't know, maybe it's just hitting home uh, right now, but um, I thought that was great. One of the things in my research that I, I did of you that I read that I loved, it said that you are passionately irreverent towards anything which inhibits success. Now on the surface, I feel like I understand what that means, but what does that mean to you? Well, for me, I just don't want to accept mediocrity if I don't have to. Um, I, and sometimes this can be a slight flaw of mine, I will admit to you, Jim. Um, but it's, you know, precision of language, uh, excellence in the way you respond, you know, not flying off the handle. It's just, there's really not, there's enough people in this world who fly off the handle. There are enough people in this world who are sloppy with the way they approach things. And I just think that the world would be better off if we were all more, gracious, if we were all more humble, if we all took the time to listen before we speak or respond to an email, that we don't have to respond to every email as it flies out the door. We don't have to respond to every instant message as it comes across the wire. Take time to be considerate, to consider that response. It's, you know, I, I just, I think that we get in our own way, uh, success-wise, if we, if we accept less than our best from ourselves and from others. And so I do this with my kids. You know, if, if my kid says something that, you know, I, I would 
take issue with. I say, precision of language. How about we say it this way? Did you mean to say this? Did you, how did you want to, how did, would you like to try that again? How would you like to say that? Um, so we do fun stuff like that. We make it fun. It's not, it's not as crazy and militant as it sounds. It's just more about, you know, words matter and let's be precise with our words. Let's be precise with our follow-up to customers. And I think the same thing comes in when you're selling. So if you're reaching out to a prospect, if you're typing an email, take the time to review it for errors because they matter. You know, if you're polishing up your resume, make sure three people look at it because some people will see the same thing. Others will see something new that you missed. And so I just think excellence is a a habit that has gone by the wayside for a lot of folks professionally. And I'm maybe I'm on a one woman crusade to bring it back. Well, I'm going to get behind you on that. Words do matter. And I think in our our age of uh, digital uh, communication, meaning text and email being the primary, words matter the most. It's, it's, it's all we have. We can't lean into tone. We can't lean into our body language. All we have is the words in front of us. So I, I'm with you on that. As I was listening, uh, one of the quotes that I've heard before that really came to mind as I was listening to you was, um, listen to understand before you listen to be offended. And I think that's very powerful as well in today's world of, of, as you said, words mattering, but just in everything that's going on in the world, if we just listen first to understand instead of being offended, I think we could change the world on that alone. Oh, absolutely. I mean, my coach taught me a great habit early on, which is to assume innocence. Hmm. A lot of times we assume bad motives behind something that somebody says or does. And, and really coming from a place of assuming innocence first is often a much better place to start. Ah, there we go. Well, I want to take this uh, maybe to the end, if you will, Jacqueline. Uh, where do you want to find yourself at the end of a long life? And, and, and I almost said career, but I do mean that, a long life. Imagine that you're at the end of your life and you've got a short time and, and you're walking on the beach with somebody you love very much and you don't have a ton of time. And you know, what are the most important things that you'd want to tell them? chances are that they're not going to want to hear about all your sales success. They're not going to necessarily want to hear that you crushed your quota every year or that you got into this prospect, you know, with the, the, you know, sales to me, first of all, I, I think sales gets a bad name sometimes, right? So we've all have the stereotypical cheesy sales kind of persona in our minds. And it's a very negative one. And I don't think it's fair because Ultimately, we as sales professionals, we're here to do what we do to serve other people. We're here to solve problems. We're here to sell something some you know to somebody that will really make their lives better. Whether it's, you know, a piece of technology, whether it's a consulting project, whatever it might be. Ultimately, we're there to help people. Like sales is really all about serving other people, being a servant, being helpful. And it's a really noble cause. And I think, you know, when I, when I get to a place in my life where, where things have sort of are coming to a close, I I think that I want to make sure that I've been surrounded by my grandchildren, um, you know, able to spend time with them. Uh, I don't know that I'll ever retire. I, I love working, you know, but maybe I'll be the grumpy old lady working in a wine tasting room. You never know. Um, but I think I'd like to make sure that I see different parts of the world. Um, I have a few things on my little bucket list, if you will. And I really want to uh, travel with my family, with my my children and grandchildren. And I really want to have the kinds of relationships that I'm fortunate enough to have today. I have a lot of really great relationships with people who started out as customers who are now my friends. 
And I think that is a, a huge differentiator for me. I think it's something that I treasure and it's something that I'm glad I had the opportunity to do. I think that's a fantastic uh, place to take a quick break, Jacqueline, so that I can say thank you to my sponsors. But when we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And sales sooners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. You've heard me talk about them for a couple of months now, but you have to check out Costello. It's a deal management platform that aligns frontline sales reps, managers, and VPs so they can work together to consistently close more deals. They help reps get the right deal information from prospects, give reps and managers visibility into the quality of every deal, and help sales leaders understand what's working and what's not. Check it out at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back, and it's time for the money round. Jacqueline, are you ready for the money round? I'm ready for the money round, Jim. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Focusing on the person that I want to be rather than on the things that I need to do. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? I would really want to get to know my prospects and take an excellent class in negotiation. Two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why I love to win or I hate to lose? Ooh, that's a tough one, but I'm going to say I hate to lose. And I think the reason I hate to lose is I hate that feeling when you almost got there. I think that's worse than the great feeling of winning and I don't like to lose. Jacqueline, what's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? Well, on the fiction side uh, or, you know, like pleasure reading, it's The Stand by Stephen King uh, or um, No Remorse by Tom Clancy. Sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Jacqueline's recommendation of The Stand or No Remorse for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. There you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book because sometimes we do need the pleasure reading fiction side. Jacqueline, what's currently at the top of your bucket list? A wine-focused hiking trip uh, to Chile and Argentina. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Focus on the person you want to be. Jacqueline said she responds to everyone who reaches out to her on LinkedIn with a personal message. To find her, look for Jacqueline with a Y, Nicholson. And let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, executives are like everyone else. Having senior level conversations is no different than conversations with anyone else. They just want you to get to the point a bit quicker. They want to know specifically why what you're bringing them is important to them and what value will add. The best way to show this value is to start with the why behind it. Number two, research matters in the enterprise. We've talked a lot on this show about how much research you should do before you start an outbound initiative. But in the enterprise, it's imperative. You need to know not only the industry challenges, but also specifically the business priorities of the individual company you're trying to get into. If they're public, read their investor documents and regulatory filings. If they're private, search for any presentations they have online or try to find out who their investors are and research their investment thesis. This will uncover critical components to your conversation. Number three, the only thing you can control is you. While you can't control every situation you find yourself in, you can absolutely affect the outcome. The only unknown variable is your reaction and or your response to the situation. If you look around and blame everyone else for your predicament, realize you're giving up all of your power. Our biggest problem looks at us every single day in the mirror, and we must stay true to who we aspire to be. 
That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And they stay there.